This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. On August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall off of the coast of Louisiana as a Category 3 storm. The resulting disaster that unfolded as the storm turned into a Category 5 storm ended up killing at least 1,800 people and devastating New Orleans and surrounding cities and states like Mississippi. The real death toll was likely much higher. Exactly 16 years later, Hurricane Ida has struck Louisiana as a Category 5 storm with winds of 125 miles per hour and up to 20 inches of rain. Now more than a million residents of Louisiana and Mississippi are without power as the storm knocked out a major portion of the power grid. Ida has devolved into a tropical storm that's dropping rain over Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Climate change will continue to fuel stronger and more devastating storms each year, begging the question, is there a long-term plan for the safety and security of the residents of the area? My guest is Kali Akuno, co-founder and co-director of Cooperation Jackson. He's also formerly the co-director of the U.S. Human Rights Network and executive director of the People's Hurricane Relief Fund, which was based in New Orleans, Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. Welcome to the program, Kali. Pleasure to be here. So first tell me where you are and what's been happening in and around the Mississippi and Louisiana areas. It just seems so horrifying that on the 16th anniversary of Katrina, we have this massive storm and the mainstream media seems to think it's a wonderful thing that the levees held, but there's over a million people without power and, and, and people are fleeing their homes, right? That's right. Uh, I'm presently in, in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, which is where Cooperation Jackson, the organization I'm a part of, uh, is based. Uh, we've been fielding folks, uh, particularly coming up from New Orleans since Saturday. Uh, and we've been trying to play host as best we can. We have you know, a few of our uh, members from sister organizations in New Orleans uh, who are now staying with us. And we've spent the entire uh, past several days now uh, bringing in waves of people. So part of a key, critical part of our work uh, is finding more housing capacity and creating more housing capacity uh, or at least staging capacity uh, for people to be able to kind of ride this out. Now, particularly given that it sounds like the greater New Orleans region is going to be without power for maybe up to three weeks, maybe more. This is what's being uh, kind of put out there now uh, from many different sources. Um, I suspect it may be longer, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so we're we're trying to dig in, you know, for the long haul. Uh, many of us haven't gone through this 16 years ago. Uh, it not only brings back painful memory, but unfortunately, there's some muscle memory of how to deal with uh, these catastrophes, you know, that we're drawing upon and trying to put in in place the best practices that we learned from that experience into play right now. This is reminding me not just of uh, the devastation of Hurricane Katrina 16 years ago, but just a few months ago of the flooding in Texas, where Texans lost electricity um, and largely because of an unregulated power or deregulated power grid weren't unable to get power back. And there was so much devastation, so much loss of property and, and even life. Um, is that something we have to worry about uh, right now under uh, Hurricane Ida? I, sadly, I think so. Um, you know, the, the, the official death toll from what they're saying now is just one, but looking at some of the footage and getting calls from uh, some of our allies in, uh, down in Houma, Louisiana in particular, 
Uh, it is devastated. I mean, some parts of it have been completely wiped off the map. Uh, many folks have not checked in. So there are a good number of folks where we don't know where they're at. Folks are not have not been able to get in contact with them either because they their their cell phone is out or the worst. Um, so I suspect sadly that that within a couple of days time we're going to find out about more of the people, particularly in southern Louisiana, who just didn't make it out, who got um, inundated, you know, with the with the storm surge and the flood. I expect that death toll to to creep up. Hopefully not, you know, but uh, from from the sounds of we're, reports that we're getting, the sounds of it, it looks like we're going to get there. There are some really horrifying reports. Among them, a man who was attacked by an alligator in the flooded Louisiana waters after the hurricane. You know, some are saying, well, why didn't people evacuate? Having learned lessons, it's not that easy to evacuate. There were some people who were trying to get um, just cash out of the bank so that they could pay for a hotel room elsewhere, but, the, but their access was frozen to their accounts um, because electricity is out. And now with the electricity gone, um, potentially for three weeks, it's still summertime. How are people going to be surviving without um, electricity in the in the coming weeks of scorching heat? So it sounds like all around quite a potential disaster in the making. And and often I understand it's the case where these sorts of storms, the real devastation comes in the one, two, three, four weeks following the storm. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. I mean, once people's resources start to wear out. Once they run out of the food, once the gas run out, if people have backup generators, if the backup generators survive or you have access to them, um, that's it's within that three or four week period that you just mentioned. That's when it really starts to get tricky, uh, particularly if the electricity is not going to be on. The, and again, sounds like in, at least in the greater New Orleans metro area, it's going to be some time. Um, and then, you know, once this is not a major national and international news story, the, the donations start to decrease, uh, the, the humanitarian concern basically kind of disappears and folks are left to their own devices, given the nature of the system that we have, or they're left to uh, FEMA and it's kind of paltry and very poor historic response uh, to, these, to these major devastations, uh, again, leaving people to their own devices. So, you know, we're trying to uh, be a part of a greater ecosystem of mutual aid response that is popping up. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to see that so many people are getting involved. So many people are, are already mobilizing. But look, let's be real. You know, um, whatever that we can amass, it's only going to touch the surface of the overall need. And there has to be broader systemic change in order to deal with these crises in, in the future for us to kind of match what we know is now the cold reality of climate change, like the worst effects of it are here now. It's not some projection into the future. We have to deal with it now, and we have to build both the systems and the infrastructure to be able to deal with these ongoing capacities. And what we're seeing all throughout the country, if you look at the drought in the West Coast or the fires in the West Coast, the repeated flooding here, or like what happened uh, uh, earlier this year, we had a record-breaking freeze. Um, none of the systems that are set up now have the capacity because they're they're premised on you know, kind of a private neoliberal oriented response, which is totally inadequate to meet the overall social need. So there's a lot of political work and a lot of political struggle that's going to have to be waged on the back end of this. And then the last thing, you know, which in our mobilization, we are also really concerned about 
uh, is how this is going to aggravate COVID-19, right? Uh, particularly with the Delta variant raging in Louisiana, already raging in Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, these are where areas where folks are going to immediately have to evacuate to. Um, and the systems, the, the hospital systems, the medical systems were already overwhelmed before Ida. Um, this is going to make it much, much worse. So we're kind of being hit with two kind of calamities all at the same time that we're going to have to, to adjust to in real time. 16 years ago, the um, poor response to the devastation of Hurricane Katrina was one of the biggest stains on the Bush administration's legacy, certainly domestically the biggest stain. And the federal government's response or lack thereof or poor response, FEMA's mismanagement and, and lack of preparation was central to that. So what is the Biden administration doing? You know, now we have a Democratic uh, president, I understand that Biden met on Monday virtually with Governor John Bell Edwards and uh, of Louisiana, Mississippi's Governor Tate Reeves, um, but and to discuss how the federal government can provide assistance just from the ground, from where you are at. Are you is the federal response seeming any different? I know it's early days. The rhetoric is different. It is profoundly different than what we got 16 years ago. So I, I will give them credit on that, but. Um, from what I'm seeing is still kind of a slow and tepid response. Now, granted, uh, you know, it's still early on. Uh, there's still a number of different things that they have to mobilize. So we'll see as, as time goes on the next, you know, days and weeks, uh, how they respond. I think the officials on the ground from what we are hearing are taking the matter seriously. And, and that is an improvement, uh, from what it was 16 years ago. Uh, but, you know, this comes in the midst of a, of a very intense kind of political and ideological war going on at the state level and the federal level about what is the actual role of government uh, and, and how large or small should it be? Um, what is the role of the federal government? You know, so this this kind of relief effort is is not without a political space in which it has to enter and negotiate. Uh, and that could be a, a major hindrance to what is going on, this kind of conflict between, you know, uh, particularly the Trump right uh, uh, and, and the Biden administration. Uh, and, and we are already hearing signs in some of the local uh, kind of right wing media uh, trying to make this in Afghanistan, you know, the uh, major drawbacks on the Biden administration, major failures, so-called, of the Biden administration. Uh, so that they can gain some political points and then use that as leverage for the 2022 elections. This is this kind of posturing and maneuvering is already going to is already taking place. And I, I sadly, I think it's going to have some impact on the government's relief effort, uh, which, again, speaks to the need as to why we're going to need as many people mobilized on this, just day to day people working in mutual and mutual aid efforts and solidarity efforts. Uh, to really buttress them, but to also put some political pressure for him, for them to actually do what needs to be done to meet the need. It seems as though there are um, two very broad areas that need immediate attention. One is to obviously provide uh, organized, fully funded, systematic government aid to Hurricane Ida survivors. I mean, we've spent over $2 trillion in Afghanistan. That's our tax dollars. 
uh, you know, th that have basically ended up with a failed war. Here we have this devastation on the ground. Um, some of the scenes in Louisiana and Mississippi today look like a war zone. People look shell-shocked and, and are shell-shocked. And so, so that is one big aspect. How adequately will the government respond? And then the longer term of addressing climate change. We need to obviously adapt to climate change, but we also need to mitigate climate change, right? By, by immediately putting a stop to fossil fuel burning and transition to clean energy. And I don't know if you think that the, if the Biden administration is doing a good enough job on even that. They're not. I'm just going to give you my opinion straight up. They're, they are not. Uh, I've been involved and am involved uh, in kind of a social movement response to the upcoming uh, climate change negotiations, the COP26, which is set to take place in November uh, in Scotland. And before this went on, we've been monitoring, uh, you know, Cooperation Jackson, uh, Grassroots Global Justice Alliance, Climate Justice Alliance, Gulf South or Green New Deal, all of which we are part of. We've been monitoring this and been deeply dissatisfied uh, with the approach and orientation that they're taking towards the mitigation aspect of climate change. Their goals are still so far-fetched in the future as to be uh, just totally unrealistic. Um, it's, it's still uh, offering, they're still kind of demanding that everything be voluntary amongst the states uh, and not kind of compulsory or not really target-oriented. Uh, uh, and this is in the face, mind you, of uh, the IPCC report that just came out, I think three or four weeks ago now, uh, which finally mirrored what science has been actually saying for the past decade, uh, that this period that we are in now, like this next five years in particular, are critical on that if we don't make some major changes, right? Changes on the level of which we saw basically in March and April of 2020, when the, the global governments of the world shut down the global economy, if we don't see levels of, of immediate and coordinated action on that level, uh, we are basically, you know, uh, uh, just guaranteed that the, the target will not be reached of maintaining the, the temperature below two degrees Celsius. And when that really kicks in, and sinks in, you're looking at a profoundly different uh, earth, a profoundly different ecosystem, a profoundly different set of climatic disasters, which we are utterly unprepared for. So they have to do better. Hopefully, you know, this will, will change their orientation. They'll stop the presentation of kind of these false uh, techno solutions and, and these market-based solutions with the carbon trading, you know, uh, adverse schemes that they're uh, pushing, which uh, don't do anything but just further incentive, incentivize uh, uh, the use of carbon fuels, they're going to have to take a, a different approach. Hopefully this will wake them up. Uh, but, if, but it's going to also take the political pressure that we are going to have to mount to get them to change that direction so there'll be some real climate change negotiations based upon real solutions that happens in November. Finally, Kali, tell me about the conversations that you're having with people, some sense of the panic that people are feeling in the past what four years i think louisiana has been hit by eight hurricanes uh and they haven't recovered from one of them yet so this is just adding on top of that uh and a lot of that has been totally forgotten some of the things that happened for instance in lake charles a couple of years ago um so sadly i think if we don't keep a media focus on this on a constant it will be long since forgotten fairly shortly and folks will be left you know, dealing with the long-term catastrophe. Many folks are probably 
without real, you know, again, the mitigation policies being put in place. We're looking at a number of folks, thousands of folks, maybe even millions of folks being displaced, you know, from from the, uh, Southern Louisiana, Southern Mississippi and Southern parts of Texas uh, and where they're gonna relocate and how they're gonna relocate, like what will be a just process of doing that. Um, and in the midst of that, you know, uh, uh, I, I, we've already heard a great deal of despair, particularly from those who were, you know, in New Orleans 16 years ago. Uh, the mental toll is real. Everybody needs to understand that the trauma, um, the shock, the disbelief, uh, the, the some people's lack of hope, and and at this particular moment, uh, is real. And I think we have to do everything that we can uh, to keep folks' hopes up. And I know, at least on our end. Uh, since, you know, I uh, thankfully didn't damage uh, Jackson, you know, much. We got more damage than I thought initially, but it didn't do much. Nothing similar to what it did in, in Louisiana and southern parts of Mississippi. Uh, we are trying to redirect that uh, by getting folks immediately involved uh, in the relief effort. And, and, you know, the past, I would say, you know, 24 hours, uh, we've been seeing, you know, our folks and our comrades get involved, get, get in motion. Uh, and figuring out what they can do. Uh, uh, we're going to have to keep encouraging this uh, and digging deep within the wells uh, to keep this kind of hope and this energy going, but it's going to be tough. I'm not going to lie to anybody about that, uh, having witnessed it firsthand, you know, 16 years ago. Kali, best of luck to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Kali Akuno, co-founder and co-director of Cooperation Jackson, speaking to us from Jackson, Mississippi. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website at risingupwithsonali.com by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RU with Sonali.